0: Open your Bibles, this morning we will be in the book of First Samuel chapter 24, we're continuing in that series with David. I want to take a minute and just as Sally did, thank you for coming last week, for the electricity in the room last week, for so many that contributed in so many ways. I've got a picture here of just a great moment for me, uh, those don't happen many times in a pastor's life, to be on stage with many pastors that have gone before as well as their spouses and you know, there was just electricity in the room. It surpassed really everything I could have anticipated even for last week. It was just a great Sunday. I want to thank one group of people. We've never done this before, but I hope it's not the last time we do it because it was such a success. We across the street had more people that came for one of our after-service parties, uh, potluck type idea than we've ever had before. We stuffed everybody into the main room. We had people in the summer room. We filled up every classroom. It was just, you know, I mean, we were stuffed in there. And I think one of the big reasons it happened was because we had individuals that smoked meat for us. And here are those individuals. And you know what? Yes, I want to give them a round of applause. I happen to know that some of those individuals did that for like a 24-hour period of time. So, I mean, they dedicated not just the great meat to us, but really some of their love that made its way into what we consumed last week. And I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping they'll do it again. Oops, excuse me, I didn't mean to tap that. I'm hoping they'll do it again because it was such a great time. And so, uh, again, thank you to the guys that smoked that meat. Well, we took a break from uh, David last week, and we will come back this week. We took a look at a psalm last week, but I want to remind you where we are in the uh, David series. You remember, very first, first week, David is anointed king. He's not looking for it. It happens to him. God's choice is David. So Samuel comes, anoints him with oil. David's now in. But a small group of people know it, and so David is not You know, David's acting like, okay, I'm gonna become the king, but not yet, and I can't make that happen because there's another guy that's the king right now. Saul is king, and Saul is agitated because David is stacking up victory after victory. I mean, he can't help it. The spirit's on him, and so everything he does is just turning great, and you remember that uh, we learned a couple weeks ago that Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands, and that is just down in the craw, Deep with Saul, he just doesn't like that, that they're celebrating David at every turn. And so last week we found out, or two weeks ago when we were in the David story, Saul is slinging spears at David. And David's making his way, woo, hey, this is getting serious. But David is like, all right, this guy means business, and he is attempting to kill me. So the story progresses, we're skipping a few chapters, so I'm filling you in, Saul is now chasing David all around the desert and all around the hill country and he's seeking to kill him. And David has got this band of men that are with him and they're making their way of evading him and, and doing the best they can but they're like, you know, what do we do with this king that wants to kill us and, and, or kill me, David is thinking. And so again, they're doing the best to evade him. All right, the story's gonna pick up today in a spot called En Gedi. En Gedi is right near the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea kind of comes, lowest spot on earth, by the way. It comes up on a little plateau and then has a mountain range that's right next to it. And I've got some pictures. I've been to En Gedi twice when I've been to Israel. This is one of the pictures of kind of the rocky mountainous terrain that is in En Gedi. There's a little stream that's running through parts of it. Next slide. I mean, it's idyllic. I mean, it's very idyllic. You see a little waterfall falling here in the background. You see this outcrops of rock that are all over the place. And believe it or not, still to this day, there are mountain goats that are at that location. And so that's not a picture I took. National Geographic took that one for me. But nevertheless, you get the idea. I did see mountain goats while I was there on both trips. So they're not like, you know, they're, they're not just hiding. They're really out where you can actually see them. And so, again, pay attention to that because the story today is going to reference the fact that this is a spot where uh, sheep are or goats are, and in fact, it's also a location where they were raising some of those, and so we're picking up the story today in 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Listen as God's word is read to us. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold... David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took, check this out, three thousand chosen men from all of Israel, and went to seek David and his men in the, in the front of the Wild Goats Rocks. That was the name of the place, the Wild Goats Rocks portion of En Gedi. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there were a where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now again, the actual Hebrew there is he was covering his feet. And that's a metaphor for he's going to the bathroom. And so he goes into the cave to go to the bathroom. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, "'The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, "'the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, "'seeing he is the Lord's anointed.'" So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the King! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say behold David seeks your harm behold this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave and some uh, some told me to kill you but I spared you I said I will not put my hand out against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed see my father see the corner of your robe in my hand For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you, you may know and see there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked come wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Who after whom do you pursue, after a dead dog, after a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between you, between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking, these words to Saul, Saul said, "Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David. You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord gave me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go uh, away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for whatever you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know you shall surely be king." And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you shall not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up into the stronghold. David is dealing with a hostile man. Saul is is chasing David all around with an effort to kill him. And what's going to happen here is they're going to come face to face. And we're going to wonder what's going to happen when these two guys are in this gigantic power struggle, come face to face. We've all witnessed hostile situations before. And in fact, perhaps uh, there's no better example of a hostile situation that you've maybe witnessed yourself than when they cancel an airline flight. When, when that happens, my heart just goes out to those poor desk clerks. I mean, they have no control over the cancellation of that flight but all of the hostility, all of the anger, all of the verbal abuse comes poured upon those poor desk clerks as they're doing the best they can to give some excuses and reroute some flights or reroute some people onto different flights and so they're just you know they're full they're full up that day. Another one that came to mind is if you happen to be a referee especially on a big day like today Super Bowl I mean, you can only imagine the heat that those gals and guys now uh, are feeling as they officiate a game. And in fact, it's been known that even uh, people would have death threats against referees at the professional level because, you know, again, well, all their, their, their calls matter. And so again, they're, they're feeling the level of hostility. I wish I could say that only happened at the professional level. But I'm telling you, hostility is felt all the way down at the lower levels. If you are a referee today for soccer or baseball or football, and you're just a young kid out there, oftentimes adults come charging at you because they, again, are questioning a call you made. And hostility is felt if you are in that position. Hostile people. We all have hostile people around us. Maybe not every day, but enough to know what that feels like. And perhaps they're not people that are out to kill you, but they're people that are just abrasive. They're people that are, in other words, with their words or with their attitudes, they're telling you how unhappy they are with you. And so we know what it's like to feel hostility. Maybe some of you still need a little bit of convincing. You're saying, you know, Pastor, I don't know if I deal with that many hostile people in my life. And so let me show you a video of somebody that's feeling some hostility in his life. And and maybe, maybe you can uh, identify with the hostility he's feeling. Here it is. All the topics that you guys talk about, whenever I go over to family events or whatever, they always get brought up somehow. And I don't even do it. I just go to hang out with them and it turns into a hostile environment because of my, my views. And so my wife and I, you know, we just withdrew from going to family events because it turns hostile. And I don't want to subject my wife or my kids to that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, would you guys recommend how I can continue to go and engage? So hear what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not looking for hostility in my family, but anytime, and I think translated, anytime political things or anytime religious things begin to come up, there's such a disagreement in the room that it feels like it's hostile. And he's saying... I don't want to depart from my family. I want to engage, but how do I do that? How do I turn this really hostile environment, something I don't want to subject my family and kids to, how do I turn this environment around? How do I handle this? And so again, we're all dealing with this at some level. And I think that even hostility has grown in the COVID era. I think we feel more of that, maybe especially online, we feel some of those barbs and the vibes of, of again, hostility. I wish I could say that we as a land were just becoming more peaceful, but I don't think that's the case. In fact, statistics show that girls are becoming more hostile. A recent study showed that nearly twice as many bullying incidents, especially those online electronically, are happening with girls more than boys. By bullying, they mean uh, attacks through personal websites, email, text messaging, or phone calls. And another study that was done related to violence among girls shows that 61% of all bullying incidents are now attached to women, not to men. And so again, we as a land are finding plenty of places where hostility is growing among us and dealing with hostile people is not just an everyday occurrence for us, but it's a sometimes occurrence for us. And today's story is about how David deals with the hostile person in his life. We can learn from David. Again, David's got an extreme case compared usually to ours, but we can learn how to deal with a hostile person through the life of David. Now, culture says this. Culture says if you've got a hostile person in your life, meet them with more hostility. Up the temperature. Hit them hard. Get them before they get you. And what we're going to find out today from David is he's countercultural. David is like, no, that is not the way I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with this person in a completely different way. And so David is going to be countercultural. We have something to learn from David. I have four things that David did in dealing with the hostile person in his life, and I want us to learn from that. First, David respected Saul because David first respected God. That's the first thing we do. We respect God, and therefore we respect the person that we are in opposition against. Here is the story and the way it's told. I think it's this, this told masterfully. And David, imagine the scene again. David is up in this mountainous region of En Gedi. And by the way, you can look down. I could have shown you another picture. Looking down from En Gedi onto the Dead Sea and you really have a good vantage point from there. You could see why they chose it to be a hiding spot. And David and his men are seeing 3,000 troops mass at the base as they're making their way up again into the strongholds of where they know David is. And David and his men see him coming up and they're like, okay, let's find a good hiding spot. This cave looks like a good spot. And they they sneak off into the cave. I don't know how many men David has with him. I'm gonna guess a couple dozen, something like that. So they hide back there in the cave and their their eyes have, have made their way And they've adjusted to the darkness. And they are looking at the light that's just coming into the cave. And they're like, whoa. Somebody just came in the cave. Somebody, who is it? I can't believe this. It is the king. The king is in the cave right now. Oh, oh my gosh. He's like pulling his robe aside because he's getting ready to go number two. Can you believe this? There's nobody with him. He's all by himself. He's defenseless. David, this is your opportunity. God is obviously speaking. He's given this guy into your hand. Go up, take his life right now. David stealthily makes his way. I don't know how he does it in this cave, but he stealthily makes his way up and David cuts the corner right off of his robe. And it says again that David, at this moment, we're gonna find out, is a little bit hurt by that action, but this is what David does. Dealing with a hostile person oftentimes is, uh, the first thing we do is we're respecting the person because we're respecting God. And David is this individual who says, I'm not going to take the life of Saul because he is the Lord's anointed. And so in other words, I don't wanna do anything in which I'm trying to put myself in power. God's the one that's gonna do that. And so I'm not gonna step out and do that on my own because this is, again, the Lord's anointed, which translates means this is the king that God has put into place, and let me not be the one that oversteps my boundaries and willingly takes or grabs the throne for myself. And so David respects God, and therefore, he respects Saul, even to the level of personal risk for himself. As an aside, I want you to see something here. Uh, When somebody says to you, obviously this is God's will, that is not always the case. In fact, they were telling him, ha, this is God's will for you, take his life. That's not what God was saying at all. God did not want him to do that. And so oftentimes we're sold uh, information that's false information that's shaped around, oh, this is obviously biblical truth or this is what God wants, when that may not be the case at all. And so we have to be very, very careful with that. Sometimes we deal very differently with hostile people than the world tells us simply because we respect and honor God. And so we're always asking, what does God want first in this situation? And that's what is our guiding north star is what God wishes for us. All right, here we go. The second principle in dealing with hostile people is to exercise what I'm gonna call conscience correction. I know that's a mouthful, let me explain that. The scriptures tell us that David is... uh, is feeling something as he takes that action of cutting off the edge of the robe. And it says here that David is feeling, uh, one translation say, his heart struck him. Another translation says David's conscience was stricken. So he's got, a, he's got a conscience that's stricken at this moment. And why? Why is David feeling guilty at this moment? Well, it comes back to this robe, And the robe is the royal robe. The robe is only worn by the king. That's probably how they could identify him when he stepped into the cave. It was because they knew the robe. And the robe is probably a specific color that represents the king. It's probably got some kind of lace on it or some kind of insignia on it. So it represents the king. And David, in going and taking a corner off that robe, is saying... Ooh, wow, did I just overstep my bounds? Did I just act like I am taking control of the king? Because if I'm taking control of his robe, I'm taking control of his power, I'm taking control of his authority. And so David at that moment is struck, his conscience is struck at that moment because he's saying, ooh, wow, maybe I just did something that God doesn't want here. David is committed to letting God work. Now, likely his men around him I mean, we get the feel from them. This is ridiculous. Why are you, why are you feeling an ounce of guilt? You should have gone off the king. What are you even feeling this for? But David holds his ground and says, no, I'm right about this and I wanna even keep you from going and killing him because it's not right and I myself should not have even taken that bit of, uh, 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 of his robe. Conscience is something that doesn't often come into play when we are angry with somebody else. When we move into a spot of self-preservation, we are not usually asking ourselves, what have I done wrong? We are usually finding all kind of fault with the other person, and we are not asking ourselves, how have I contributed to this moment? And so conscience is usually diminished when we are in this spot of being with somebody that is perceived as hostile, and we are usually in a mode of self-preservation about ourselves. But conscience, well, it's not about self-preservation. Conscience is about doing what is right. I want to introduce somebody to you that maybe you haven't seen in a long time. His name is Jiminy Cricket. And Jiminy Cricket is 1940 in the story of Pinocchio. And Jiminy Cricket is attached to Pinocchio because, well, Pinocchio is a wooden puppet who longs to be a boy someday, but he doesn't have the faculties to do that. And so Jiminy Cricket is assigned to Pinocchio to be his conscience. And so he is coming and telling Pinocchio what's right and wrong in order for him to grow up into boyhood. And Jiminy Cricket has a little song. And always let your conscience be your guide. And I'm like, hmm, would Disney make a movie like that anymore? I think we've come a long ways, baby, since 1940. And I'm wondering, is conscience something that is even still a valuable notion within our country? I have a quote here from Bible teacher John MacArthur, and this is what he says. Conscience is to the soul what pain is to the body. <laughs> We'd like to avoid pain as much as possible. But at the same time, we recognize that pain's a gift from God. If you didn't have pain, you would not You destroy yourself. Pain is critical to physical preservation. And so the conscience is critical to spiritual preservation. So our conscience is something that is highly important for our own well-being, but it's highly important also in this time of hostility with other people. And one of the first things that we might ask ourselves is, have I contributed this in, in any way? Now, again, I realize not every situation applies to this. If somebody's got you at gunpoint at a grocery store, don't know the person at all, you're probably not asking yourself, what have I done wrong here? That's not what I mean. I'm asking a question for normally people that we're in more relationship with and we're feeling some hostility. A good question usually is, have I done anything to contribute to this? And if my conscience is telling me, if the Holy Spirit is telling me, yeah, you have, Boy, that's a time to repent over that. That's a time to feel the weight of the conscience and to correct your actions as a result of that. That's exactly what David did. And David allowed himself to feel his conscience and allowed himself to be corrected. All right, number three on the list. How do you deal with a hostile person? Number three is you make your case while trusting God. Make your case while trusting God. David uh, keeps on Running, but you know, he's knowing that the situation has to come to a head. At some point, he's got to do something about this. And so, what David does is he takes the opportunity, even at risk to himself, to confront Saul. He comes out of his hiding place in the cave, which, by the way, reveals himself. There's now 3,000 troops that could make their way to attack him. But he says, no, now's the time. I've got to confront Saul, and I've got to tell him uh, what's happening here. And so he comes out to make his case, and he does something uh, with Saul. He, He approaches Saul, and he tells Saul the truth. And I want you to let this sink in for just a minute, because there's a lot of other things we do in life. So we will go and tell a counselor the truth. We will go and tell a best friend the truth. We will go tweet the truth. We will go Facebook the truth. We will go Instagram the truth. But oftentimes, we don't make our way to the person to tell them about what's going on. To to put it this way, we talk about the person rather than talk to the person. And I want you to feel what David does here. Because David says, there comes a moment in which I've got to talk to Saul. And I've got to make my case to Saul. And so that's exactly what he does. And he has no idea how Saul's gonna respond to it. But that's not the point. He, 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 Saul may rage on, which we find out he kind of does. But David says, that doesn't matter. I've gotta do this and I've gotta trust God with the outcome, whatever it is. And so he makes his case to Saul. There's three components of what David says. Number one, David shows respect to Saul. You notice the way he starts off, he says, My king, my lord the king. And he even bows down in homage to Saul. After all that Saul's done to him, he's doing that? I mean, we usually have names for people that we are coming in hostility with, but it's not my lord, all right? That's not what we're thinking. And so again, he treats Saul with such dignity and really such respect. Number two, he demonstrates that Saul is, uh, he's not out to overthrow Saul So he wants to make the case, Saul, I've never been the guy that's trying to get you. I mean, you might have built that case in your mind, but I've never been that guy. And evidence number one is the corner of your robe. I had the opportunity to kill you today, and I didn't. And so I want you to know, evidence piece number one, I'm not out to get you. Third, David asks God to be the judge between them. And so he says, you know what, Saul, in the final analysis... God's gonna be the judge between the two of us, and that's who we both need to respect. So he's calling Saul really back to a higher power here as they settle their dispute. Notice that David is also giving Saul the benefit of the doubt. So he says, he doesn't say, you know, you know good, you did this. He says, you know, your men might've told you something about me that's not quite true. So he, he even gives Saul a kind of a way out, as it were, as he's having his speech or his conversation with him. And David is not afraid again to to confront Saul, but it's with a high level of tact, with a high level of care. And all the time, David is going to trust God with the outcome of this. There comes a time in which we oftentimes, with a hostile person around us, need to have that conversation. We need to go and say, this is what's transpiring. This is uncomfortable for all of us. I hope that this can change. And some of you are dealing with that in your lives right now. There's somebody in which you need to go to and have that conversation. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe you have somebody at your work who is belittling you or putting you down. Maybe they're saying inappropriate things. And I have a quote here from uh, Kat Borgard. She is a, a workplace expert. And she says, so you need to confront your boss. And your palms are getting sweaty even at the thought of it. You aren't alone Needless to, uh, needing to assert yourself to your manager, ideally in a way that doesn't make you come off as a pushy know-it-all is a tricky thing. You already have the basics covered. You know you should double check your facts, try to problem solve yourself and get your ducks in a row before you stick your neck out and potentially damage your relationship with your supervisor. But you're already, you've already done all that and there's no getting around the fact. You absolutely need to have that dreaded And hopefully not heated conversation with your boss. And David is teaching us, and I think it's a good lesson for all of us. There does come a moment in which you've run around for long enough. You've skirted around the issue for long enough. You probably have to go and have that conversation with the hostile person. You hope it goes well. You you really hope it goes well. But that's not what matters the most. What matters the most is God is the one to judge between, and he's going to be the one ultimately to sort it out, not their reaction, not their emotions, but God himself as you are attempting to do that with his love, with his grace, with his power. All right, there's a fourth thing I want you to see today, and the fourth action that David takes in dealing with a hostile person is he gives grace. Notice the response of Saul. Saul weeps. So Saul gets the news from David about what's transpired and his reaction is he weeps. And what do we make of that? Well, I make of that that David, Saul is saying about David, you're right, I, I, I see what you're telling me and you're right, I have treated you poorly, you've treated me well, I've sought to hunt you down, you've done nothing but give me the benefit of the doubt and so these, this weeping is what comes out of Saul at this moment. He has a very interesting response because he says, I have a request for you, David, and my request for you is this. In fact, I have it up here on the screen. If you give me the next slide. Swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name. So what is he saying here? Ancient world, go, let's go back in the clock. Ancient world, if you were the king, the very first thing you did is you went to all the offspring of the previous king and you killed everybody. Every brother, every son, every cousin, the previous king, his, his name is wiped out in order that somebody might not come and overtake you. This is the ancient world, as ruthless as it sounds, that is the action that's taken. And Saul is saying to David, would you do me a solid? If I, if I, if, you know, if I let you go here, will you do me the solid and not overtake me not not kill all my offspring so that my name ceases to exist and David at that moment has this decision what is he going to do and that's a decision so many times we all face when somebody has hurt us very deeply is am I going to give grace at this moment or am I going to hold their feet to the fire And of course, every ounce of your flesh is saying, hold their feet to the fire by all means. There is no getting out of this at all. And David, the man after God's own heart, says he swears to Saul, I'll do that for you. And what's ironic is, Saul doesn't change. (laughs) Saul has all this weeping and all this show and this demonstration of his sorrow. It's all window dressing. In the next two chapters, he's going to be back at chasing David again. And two chapters from now, we're not going to cover it, but two chapters from now, David spares his life again. And so there's no change within Saul whatsoever, but David is still this man who's after God's heart, and David is going to be rewarded by God. I've got a story about this kind of grace, this kind of forgiveness Spencer Perkins was the son of John Perkins, who's a great Christian writer and a black man who is about racial reconciliation in our land. And Spencer remembers when he was raising little kids, Spencer's gone with the Lord now, but he remembers this time. He says his kids said, Daddy, come quick. His four-year-old said that. She said, Somebody has stole our presents on Christmas morning. He said, at first, I thought the children were playing a trick on me, but as I suddenly looked at them, they were very visibly shaken, and apparently, somebody had come into the house while we slept, picked out the choice presents, removed the blanket from my chair, and they had used it to steal about a dozen of the best gifts that my children and friends were expecting to receive on Christmas morning. To say that the children were angry, that was an understatement. My 11-year-old son, Jonathan, realized that one of the gifts stolen was his Nike sneakers, and he stormed out of the house in tears. I sat silent on my coverless chair, stunned and fuming. I'd seen the children's Christmas music or special, How the Grinch Stole Christmas Dozens of Times in Childhood, But I never believed that such a tale could come true. How do you forgive a person like that? How do I teach my children to to practice this kind of forgiveness? Because it's so unnatural, we have to to practice forgiveness like any other discipline. And he said, according to Dr. King, he's referring to Martin Luther King, forgiveness is not just an occasional act. It's a permanent attitude. Later that day, I put that question to my son. How should we as Christians respond to the person who tried to steal our Christmas? Yeah, 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 I know, Dad. Even though he doesn't deserve it, we're supposed to give him grace. Sure, I knew the words came out of his mouth, mouth and they were almost uh, completely opposite of what he was feeling at that moment. I knew that because I felt the same way. But as I, but as I also knew, it had to start somewhere and if one step at a time our discipleship as Christians could include giving each other grace, and if our children could learn to practice forgiveness as much as we practice praise or worship, if we could literally create a counterculture of grace, maybe, just maybe, we would then mature in our faith and our hearts could finally match our words. What a beautiful way to talk about this tremendous act of giving grace, this tremendous act of giving forgiveness. And of course, when you're dealing with a hostile person, it never seems like the opportune time to do that, but through the power of the Spirit, we are able. So this is the story of how David dealt with the violent man in his life, the hostile man in his life that was out to kill him, and the amazing part of the story is David didn't follow suit. David didn't do what culture says, which is beat him down faster. Give him even more of your ire and your hostility. And it's as if somehow David is a precursor. David is, David is, is a foreshadow of what's going to happen a millennia later when our Savior comes onto the scene. Because our, late, our Savior says crazy things. Crazy things like this. Here it is. Luke chapter, there it is. But I say to you, Jesus says who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And so again, he's like living that out uh, thousands of, or hundreds of years before Jesus is even on the scene, but Jesus is gonna come and tell us, we're disciples when we do that. Next one, uh, Romans chapter 12, this is what Paul taught among the churches. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful, do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And David lives out this New Testament teaching in the Old Testament right in vivid color in front of us. And he shows us a different way to deal with people who are hostile uh, among us. And honestly, This is one of the big reasons, again, why David is a man after God's own heart and why he is so sought after as the the, the high point of all the kings of Israel. David waited for God to give him the kingship. He never grabbed it for himself. And that is what allows David to deal very differently with this man of hostility, the Saul that was in his life. I wonder how you'll do that the next time that hostile person comes to you, and will you refer back and say, David has given me the path. Let me see if I can practice that. Let's pray. Father, we're dealing with uh, countercultural stuff. We're dealing with heavenly stuff. This is not the way normally we deal with people that are hostile towards us. And yet, here it is with the story of David. And you bless David for it. You uh, you lift him up as a result of it, and you put Saul in his place ultimately. And so, Lord, we trust you today with whatever episodes and whatever stories you're placing in our lives. We're asking that the Spirit would be alive and well within us, and that we would be people also who know how to, how to treat people with respect and how to give the benefit of the doubt, how to even have a conscience ourselves in the midst of this time, and yes, even how to give grace when it's needed. Lord, move in us now, and for all my friends that perhaps have a hostile person, you work in their heart right now, Holy Spirit, to teach them about what is their next step. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.